On your sermon notes page, you'll find there the words of the Heidelberg Catechism for this afternoon. Uh, questions and answers 82, 1 and uh, 80, 81 and 82, sorry, 80, 81 and 82. This is the last uh, Sunday, the last Lord's Day in their catechism that uh, explains and teaches us about the Lord's Supper. So question 80, how does the Lord's Supper differ from the Roman Catholic Mass? The Lord's Supper declares to us that all our sins are completely forgiven through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. It also declares to us that the Holy Spirit grafts us into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, where he wants us to worship him. But the Mass teaches that the living and the dead do not have their sins forgiven through the suffering of Christ unless Christ is still offered for them daily by the priests. It also teaches that Christ is bodily present under the form of bread and wine, where Christ is therefore to be worshipped. Thus the Mass is basically nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and a condemnable idolatry. And then question 81, who should come to the Lord's table? Those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins, but who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and to lead a better life. Hypocrites and those who are unrepentant, however, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Should those be admitted to the Lord's Supper who show by what they profess and how they live that they are unbelieving and ungodly? No. <clears throat> and bring down God's wrath upon the entire congregation. Therefore, according to the instruction of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such people by the official use of the keys of the kingdom until they reform their lives. Well, I said two Sundays ago, I know it's a long time to remember, but uh, two Sundays ago, uh, that to come to communion is to come to the Garden of Eden, like Adam and Eve did, the Tree of Life. To come to communion is to come into Abraham's tent, like Abraham and Sarah did, welcoming those three guests, of course, one of which was described as the angel of the Lord. To come to communion is to come to Mount Sinai, uh, like Moses and the elders, to, uh, to ascend to that point of the mountain where they, they ate in the presence of God. They saw the that sapphire pavement, they were in God's presence. To come to the Lord's Supper or communion is to come into the tabernacle and into the temple, not just to bring your offering to the priest who then does the work for you, but to come as we are in Christ, already covered in his blood and righteousness, as we sang, uh, to come as priests and to enter that first room and to go into the very Holy of Holies because the curtain has been torn in two and to eat in God's presence. It's to come to uh, those, those images of the prophets. Isaiah 25, I gave the example of that, those latter day mount, uh, the latter-day mountain, which the prophets described. And on that latter-day mountain, uh, the people of God were going to eat 
a feast of uh, wine and and meat uh, with the Lord himself. And it's to come to heaven itself. Hebrews chapter 12, in fact, says that we don't come to Mount Sinai, the literal Mount Sinai, but we go, we come to uh, the heavenly Jerusalem, Mount Zion. And we get to enter that, uh, ascend that mountain and enter heaven itself. And all the promises that are awaiting us in Revelation 21 and 22, uh, we get a little foretaste uh, every single Sunday here uh, in church. And so when we come to communion, we're coming more to just this wooden table with uh, those wooden trays with little pieces of bread and uh, little plastic cups with wine and juice. We're coming to God. We're coming to those realities of which all those Old Testament pictures pointed us to. And I also mentioned that there's various names in the New Testament for this sacrament. It's called the Lord's Supper. It's called the Lord's Table. Uh, It's called the coming together. I mentioned that. uh, It's a Greek word, synaxis, just means coming together. Uh, That's what we do. We gather together uh, around the table at the supper, for supper. Uh, we come as well to, uh, to, to, uh, to give thanks. That's the, the language of the, the Eucharist. Literally, it just means the thanksgiving. Uh, it's where we come in, we give thanks. Uh, and I mentioned there that we don't offer, as, as we even read here in question 80, uh, we don't offer Christ on the table. No, we, we offer ourselves at the Lord's table as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable uh, to God. Those are the four names that I mentioned. I forgot to mention one. Uh, two Sundays ago, uh, this sacrament is also called, and I've already mentioned it this morning, it's called, or this afternoon, it's called communion. That's another word, a koinonia, communion, or fellowship. Uh, the bread that we break, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10. The bread that we break, uh, is it not a communion, a participation, a fellowship in the body of Christ? The cup that we bless, is it not a communion, fellowship, participation, koinonia, in the blood of Jesus Christ? Now, I mention all that because... The Lord's Supper, this sacrament of communion, uh, it's not so much an issue of what happens in this sacrament, but where it happens. It's not a matter of what is happening, but where it happens. Uh, That question number 80, it's uh, one of the only questions in our catechism that sort of like has a negative tone to it. Um, and it does that because the, our catechism was written and it was, uh, it was published in January of 1563. Uh, and then right after it was published, the Roman Catholic Church had been holding a council called the Council of Trent. Uh, they had been holding that council for some 15 years uh, off and on. And they had just written this decree from the Roman Catholic Church decreeing that uh, the, uh, the Mass, you know, is the... Is the the, the re-presenting of Christ's sacrifice, that in anyone who says that priests aren't sacrificing, or at least representing Christ's sacrifice, uh, who says that that's not happening, is to be uh, anathema, is to be condemned, is to be accursed. Uh, and all those who believe what we believe, basically, Protestant views of communion, uh, are under God's condemnation. And so because of that, they, they added this question as a way to, to uh, contrast what is going on in the Roman Catholic Mass with Protestant or Christian communion uh, to teach us, you know, those differences. And you see there's something interesting um, in that question number 80, uh, just briefly, 
Um, it, it talks about, of course, it's all about Christ's once and for all sacrifice, that the, the Lord's Supper declares to us that Jesus Christ died and accomplished our redemption once and for all. But then it also says there, in that second little part of that question 80, uh, it declares that the Holy Spirit grafts us into Christ. So the Holy Spirit uh, joins us to Jesus Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, where he wants us to worship him. So there are lots of views I mentioned a couple of Sundays ago about the Lord's Supper, the bread, the wine, what happens, what doesn't happen, uh, you know, the miracle of the Mass, as the Roman Catholics describe it, uh, various Protestant views, there, there are several of those. Um, the issue is not what is happening, but where it's happening. That's what the Catechism is saying. Where it's happening. Where, where is this communion between us here on earth and Jesus at the right hand of God? Where is that communion happening? It's happening at the right hand of God. So this is a heavenly meal. It, it, it doesn't look heavenly. Uh, I don't know if it tastes very heavenly. But this is a heavenly meal, at least an earthly meal. It's meant to lift our hearts and to give us a sense of that heavenly communion uh, and fellowship that we already have and that we one day will have in, in, in fullness uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not so much what is going on, but where it's going on. It's going on. In heaven. So I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19. Uh, we're going to look at this text and then one text from the gospel uh, briefly here. So Revelation chapter number 19, there's this wonderful vision of heaven. This wonderful vision of heaven. And uh, verse number 6, John hears what, uh, he says, I, he- I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters. And like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. And all the way back in the beginning of Revelation and all the way now in Revelation 19, uh, this language of the the sound of a multitude that no man can number. Like mighty peals of thunder, like the roaring of many waters. This is the church in heaven. This is our our glorified, uh, uh, these are our brothers and sisters who've gone before us. Our loved ones who are in Jesus' presence. This is what they sing. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Why? For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And then John says, for, he's explaining now what that bright and pure linen is, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So the church in heaven is singing in anticipation of the fullness of that marriage supper of the Lamb, where the Lamb, our Lord Jesus Christ, and his bride, the church, are joined together in marriage, and they feast, and they have fellowship, and there's love and communion forever and ever and ever. And the church in heaven, and we try to reflect that here on earth, sing that praise. Hallelujah. The Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. The marriage of the Lamb has come. And it's granted to her, notice, that that bride, to wear pure white linen, a, a pure white linen dress. Symbolic of her righteous deeds, we're told. So the question is this. Well, who is the bride so clad in a white, pure, 
linen dress of righteousness. Notice that. It, that white, pure linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So, so who is this bride? I ask that because the big question for us is, who should come to communion? And you have this heavenly scene where this multitude is praising God that they have been given this white robe of righteousness of their right, own righteous deeds. So who, who is this? This doesn't, may not feel or seem to you and to me this afternoon to be attainable. Is it attainable for, for me to, to be able to one day sing and, and put on a, 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 a fine linen, pure and white dress that is my righteous deeds? doesn't seem attainable to us. And so some, in, and I use this loosely, in the broader Christian tradition, some have said, well, maybe these are just in a very exclusive number, say the Jehovah's Witnesses, and I, again, broadly, very loosely speak of Christian tradition. They're a cult, but they at least give the name of Christian. Some have said, like, J, like our JW neighbors, Jehovah's Witness neighbors, well, th- these are that exclusive 144,000 and them alone. Everyone else gets a lower tier of heaven, but they alone get that highest tier of heaven. You know, the good of the good, the cream of the crop. Just a very limited, exclusive number of witnesses to Jehovah's kingdom. Others have said, others might be tempted to say or or feel like when you read this, well, well, maybe these are, 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 are the saints. Maybe these are the super saints who've gone before us and throughout the ages And they have done so many righteous deeds. They have healed the sick. They have performed miracles. They have fed multitudes of the poor. Uh, They've given of themselves a life of uh, poverty and chastity and so forth. Uh, They've given up everything in this life. And by their righteousness, they've entered heaven. And in fact, they had more good works than they needed to get to heaven. And so they got into heaven with their own righteousness and they had a little extra on the side and they took a little pouch off those little gold nuggets of righteousness and they deposited those into what's called the treasury of merits. That's the Roman Catholic view. And the Pope on earth can take those merits and he can apply them to you and to me. You probably saw this, or, uh, I don't know, maybe you didn't see it, but uh, I saw it because I saw it on Twitter. Uh, Pope Francis, did you see this? That the Pope has decreed an indulgence, which is a forgiveness of sins, uh, that if you retweet the Pope's tweets, if you retweet Pope Francis's tweets, <laughs> you get an indulgence from your sins. How can, I mean, that, it sounds so silly to us. And this is exactly what happened 500 years ago. The Pope said, if you would... If you would uh, uh, give just a, uh, a gold coin, uh, when a coin in a coffer rings a soul from Purgatory Springs. If you would just give a little bit of money towards the building of St. Peter's Cathedral, uh, uh, Basilica in, in, in Rome, uh, and you would get this letter written with your name on it, signed by the Pope, with his stamp of approval, his little wax seal, and you could hold that and say, I can go to heaven. That was your passport 
to celestial glory. So again, the question is, well, who are these? Clad in a white, pure linen dress of their righteousness. It doesn't seem to be very attainable to us. It doesn't seem attainable to us. So who can come? Who should come to communion? I'm going to, come, I'm going to answer that question in just a bit, but who should come to communion then? If the image and the symbolism and the, and, the, and, the, and the scene in heaven is that those at that marriage feast of the Lamb, which is the heavenly reality of the Lord's Supper, if they are those who are wearing a linen, a, a, a fine linen dress of their righteous deeds, who should come? I read a story once of a, of a, of a, of a pastor in Scotland, and he was serving the Lord's Supper. And in Scotland, in the old days, their practice was to have, uh, like a church like this, they would have communion tables, but they would put them in the aisles for communion. So a little bit bigger on the sides here. But imagine there would be multiple tables throughout the sanctuary here on a communion Sunday. And you would come and you would sit around the table, and uh, there would be the minister who would serve you from a common cup uh, and one big piece of bread. And uh, he was doing that, and, and, and a woman from the congregation came up as he invited people to come up to the table to commune. And uh, this woman came up and uh, was very anxious, was very anxious, and said to the pastor, um, you know, I can't come. I just want you to know that I can't come. I, I, I'm very anxious about my sins. I'm very, I'm very sorrowful that I'm a sinner. Uh, I don't really match up to, you know, the people around this table over here. Uh, you know, I'm not as righteous and holy and good... And at that moment, the, the minister took a piece of bread, ripped it off of that big loaf, and took the big chalice, the big, the big wine cup, and he like thrust it into her face and said, it's for sinners. And then amazingly, you know, she sat down and communed and ate, just like everybody else, just like everybody else. Who can come? Who should come to the Lord's Supper? Well, we read that Revelation 19 passage, and it might make us feel somewhat anxious, but here our catechism tells us, and you can see some of the passages there that are, that are quoted and cited there. But uh, it tells us that there are uh, those who come, should come, who are, have these three qualifications. Three qualifications. Those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins. Those who are displeased, right? Or even despondent. Maybe you're despondent about your sins. Who should come? Those who are displeased or even despondent because of their sin. Those who depend on Christ should come to communion. And those who desire to strengthen their faith. Notice that. That's the prayer of the man in the gospel story who said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Who should come? Those who are displeased because they're sinners. And because of that, they cling to Christ, not themselves. And yes, they have a desire to, to increase their faith and to live a more godly life. Notice that it's a desire. It may not be in actuality. The faith might be like a mustard seed and the, and, the, and the external goodness and righteousness and holiness might not match up to everybody else in the church, but at least have a desire. Those are the ones who should come. Those are the ones who should come. Let's turn also to our to the gospel story of Luke 14. Luke 14. 
And picking up at verse 7, I'm going to read that with you together. Uh, I'll read it together with you. Uh, Luke 14 at verse number 7. Here is this uh, story of Jesus at, at a house of a ruler of the Pharisees. So if anyone was righteous, it was this dude. And they're there to eat. He's, he's been invited, Jesus has, by this rule of the Pharisees to eat. And uh, notice there, <clears throat> verse 7, as they are there, he says, uh, Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them. So in an, in a, in an ancient Near Eastern uh, house, you would have a table and you would recline on couches or cushions around the table and the, uh, at, the, at the middle of the table, we, we do the head of the table. My kids make fun, try to steal the head of the table all the time for me. We sit the head, it's like, you know, that's dad's seat. In the ancient generation, you sit in the middle. And so people, people sitting to your right and to your left, that's like the disciples, remember? Uh, one gets to recline on Jesus because he's the middle, he's the honored guest, and to, to be there next to him is the best place to be. And that's why the, the mom of the disciple says, you know, when, when, when you come into your kingdom, make sure that my kids are at your right and left. That's where you want to be, right in the middle of the table, at the right and left. And, you know, across is a good place, but on the ends, that's, you don't want to be at the ends, you're far away. These are long tables, long couches. So he, these have all been invited by this rule of the Pharisees, and, and he tells this parable to those who, who chose to themselves the places of honor. They they, whether they put like, a, you know, this would be like us going into, uh, like, like, like go, go to a wedding and there's maybe not assigned seats and you try to get the best place. Maybe for you the best place is to be near the, the bride and groom table. Maybe the best place for you is to be uh, near the bar. You know, some people want to sit at the bar. Maybe the best place is to sit next to the buffet. Maybe the best place is to sit next to the wedding cake because you want to get first dibs, right, on that good looking cake. So they're picking for themselves, notice, that, that's the point, for themselves, the places of honor. So he tells this parable, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, the, uh, the person doing the part, having the party, uh, hosting the wedding feast, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. So you have to be moved from your seat right there in the middle all the way to the end. So don't do it on your own accord, right? Because then you're eventually someone, somebody more worthy than you is going to be invited. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place on the outsides. So that when your host comes, he may say, friend, move up higher. Get closer to the honored guest, to the middle. Then... You will be honored in the presence of all. People will see that you got kicked out of your seat to sit over there. And they're going to see that you got, you got moved from there to there. You got the upgrade, right? You got the upgrade. You'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself, here's this big moral. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then notice this. So, right, that's the big point. Be humble. Be humble. Verse 12. He said also to the man. So this, that first parable is to all those that, around the table. Now he talks to the man who host, uh, hosted this dinner party. He said also to the man who had invited him. When you give a dinner or a banquet, 
Don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Okay, so if you only invite those that are the closest to you and uh, rich neighbors, they're going to be like, hey, this guy just threw a big party. To throw a big party like this uh, in the ancient world was an honor, uh, an honorable thing. It showed your wealth, it showed your influence, it showed your power. Right? It, it, it's a way to show, to kind of show off, but it's a way to be honored. And he's saying, well, if you do that, someone else is going to do the same thing, and then you're all going to kind of be equal, and you're going to lose your honor. You know? You're going to be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite, notice this, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. People don't, people don't have parties with these kinds of people. That's the point. They, they, they want to invite all the powerful and the wealthy and neighbors and family and those closest. Those are going to praise them. Those are going to whisper in their ear how great they are, how wealthy they are, and how prestigious they are. But that's the reward. You, though, invite others, the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind, and you'll get a reward at the resurrection of this. Now, verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him, they're, again, on a low table, close to the ground, and they're around cushions that are reclining. When those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So notice, it's not, he's, no, he's pointing them beyond this earthly table that they're eating at. He's saying, don't, don't rush in and put your coat down or put your, you know, your shoes down or whatever it might be. You know, put dibs on that seat right there. No, let, let the master move you up. Don't honor yourself, be honored. And he's saying, don't invite all those who already are powerful. No, invite the poor, the weak, the destitute and so forth. By doing that, you'll get eternal reward. Now, he's pointing them to that. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So it's, it's beyond this meal to another meal. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they, all those invited, all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field. I've got to go out and see it. Please have me excused. Verse number 19. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I, I've married a wife, and therefore I can't come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master, who invited everybody to this great banquet. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done. And still there is room. So amongst the city dwellers, they've all come, and, but there's still more seats available around that banquet. And you want to fill the place to, to be honored. The master said to his servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. He's speaking here of Jews and Gentiles. 
This Pharisee only invited those who were powerful and rich, and, and those who were powerful and rich wanted to sit in the middle, right next to the honored guests. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. If you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. And don't invite just those that you know, and just all those who already are rich. No, invite those whom you don't know, those who are destitute. Blessed are those who eat bread in God's kingdom. You'll be repeated the resurrection of the just. And so he's speaking this parable to them, saying that the disciples are to go out and they are to invite people in the city, that's Jerusalem, that those are the Jews. And when they come, there's still room. Invite the Gentiles, the poor, the destitute, the lame, the blind, the outsider. Who can come to the Lord's table? Who can come to communion? That eternal feast of bread in God's kingdom that Jesus here is speaking about is given to sinners as a foretaste here on earth at this very table. And it's attended around that table by people from every tribe and nation and language and people, those who are outsiders, the highways and hedges. Those who are outsiders because of their sins. Look, they're outsiders looking in. Well, I'm not as holy as the Jews. How can I come as a Gentile? Well, I'm not as holy as those people, typical churchgoer. I'm not as good as they are. How, how can I come in? It's for outsiders who are looking in because of their sins, but they're not looking at their sins. We don't look at our sins when we come to this table. We are looking to Jesus Christ who is better than us. And we're not coming to this table pretending that we've woven our own garment, pure, bright, white linen, and we've woven it of our own good works. That brings us back to Revelation 19. Well, who are these people? No, when we come to the Lord's table, as that catechism answer says, we come as those who desire to increase our faith and to live a more godly life. We come to the Lord's table. We know this already as believers, don't we? That every single good work that we perform, do we not know this? That what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse number 10, that every single good work that you and I, that you and I do has already been prepared for us to walk in it in advance. So when you do a good work, whose good work really is it? The Lord has prepared for you to walk in a certain path of good works. And sure, we, we perform the good works. We are the ones who, who, who do the good to honor God, to, uh, to, to edify our neighbors, to save sinners. But they're just good works that Jesus Christ, already, he's already walked the path. You're just following in his footsteps. What are, you, what are you really doing other than just following in his footsteps? And like a dad walks in the beach and has a larger footprint and, and, our, and our sons and daughters, as they're younger at least, uh, their feet are smaller than ours and they, they can fit their little feet in those bigger feet. That's all you're doing. That's all you're doing as a Christian. Our good works have already been prepared in advance for us to walk in. And in fact, even, and, and, and even those good works that we do, you know, just like a kid, we, we have our dad's or even our mom's footsteps in the sand down there on the beach. And not just the feet are bigger to yours, but their stride is longer, isn't it? Dad has long legs, walks really big steps. Mom walks a little faster than you. And so you're trying to keep your feet inside the outline of your mom and dad's footprint. And eventually you, you, you have to start jumping, don't you? At first you kind of walk, but then you start jumping because 
they're getting farther and farther apart. You're trying your best. You're still following the general path. But then you look back at the path and you see the big feet of mom and dad, you know, kind of wandering down the beach. And then you see kind of like a snail trail, it looks like. You know, you're, you're still kind of wandering that same path that mom and dad path, uh, did. You can kind of see at the beginning your feet fit exactly. Even the good works that you do, like a child follows his or her father or mother, have to be sanctified by grace. We've, we follow the path of the good works that Jesus gave to us. He's outlined for us in his word. He calls us to follow that path. We, we stay in that straight and narrow path. We follow those good works. We, we do the things that he wants us to do. We love God. We love our neighbor as ourselves. We do the best that we can, but we, we can't keep up to Jesus, let's be honest. We kind of fit our feet in the outline. We kind of mess up his outline. We kind of smear the outline. We fall outside of the outline. We don't quite do it. And so at the end of though, he looks at it all and he takes it all and he sanctifies it all by his own grace. He offers it up to God, and these are sweet-smelling incense to him, our good works. Not because we did them, but because he made them so. He gave the pattern, and he gives you the sanctification of them. So these righteous saints who have this white, pure, linen, righteous, uh, a, a, a white, pure, linen wedding dress weaved of their own good works, their own righteous deeds. These are all the good deeds that Jesus gave them to do and that Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has sanctified them to be. He's washed them in his blood, ironically, right? The red blood that makes them white. And so we come to the Lord's table as members of that wedding feast, as that bride, in fact. We come as those who are on the highways and hedges. We come to those who are outsiders looking in. We come as those who are displeased and even despondent with our sins. Uh, we come as those who are depending on Jesus even after we've trusted in him for decades and we are still clinging to him. Even the holiest amongst us this afternoon, even the holiest saint in this place has only the smallest beginning of the obedience and good works that God actually requires. Don't ever forget that. There are no super saints who've done more works than they needed to be, and they put them into a treasury of merits. The Pope can then say, retweet my tweets with a smiley face, and you get forgiveness. No, it doesn't work that way. Even the holiest of saints has only a smidge, a spark, a dust, a little speck of dust of the good works that God requires, but they come we come displeased, dependent, and desirous. Lord, help me. I believe, but help my unbelief. I want to live a life of godliness. I want to be holy. I want to stop sinning. I want to love you more. I want to love my neighbor as myself. But I come to you. So who should come? Who should come to the Lord's table every single Sunday? You should come. You should come. That's who should come. Sinners, just like you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of the Lord's Supper. And we ask, Heavenly Father, now that you would give us courage and even confidence to come week by week to you, 
uh, by means of this bread and wine. And even when we feel, even when we don't feel like we should. Even when we maybe not, don't even want to, Lord, compel us to come. Help us in our unbelief, help us in our struggles, help us in our worries, in our sins. To always depend upon you, to cling to Jesus, to trust in him, to know that he loves us more than we can ever love him in return. And to know, Lord, even when we stray off that little path that's so straight and narrow, but we can lose balance at times, we can uh, lose hearts, get tired. Enable us, Lord, enable us and sanctify those things that we do so that one day we'll be clothed in that, that robe of righteousness, that wedding gown uh, that is all of your doing, even the good works that we do, Lord, they're yours. And at the end of the day, as, as Jesus once said, uh, Lord, uh, even the good that we do, uh, Lord, it's, we, all, we give it all back to you. We are unworthy servants. And so help us, Lord, and enable us more and more to uh, go forth serving you uh, to the best of our ability, relying on your Holy Spirit. Uh, and so, Lord, uh, even as I pray, uh, as we pray this afternoon, hear our prayers and uh, help us, Lord, in our various needs. We ask in Jesus' name.